Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, where we bring the passion, humor, and humanity back into business conversations. I'm excited today to be talking to Nisreen Shartouni, currently Regional Director at Jacobs in Dubai. She started a career in the US working on infrastructure projects. She then moved on to work for Bechtel in 2006, where she was Chief Construction Engineer. In that post, she worked all around the world in Doha, Qatar, Romania, and from Washington State to Wisconsin, US. In 2008, she finally settled for a while in London, where she joined Crossrail as Farrington Project Manager. She was at the time the youngest ever project manager at Crossrail. After almost a decade on the project, she took on the commercial director role of the program. She moved to Dubai just before the pandemic, where she now lives with her husband and two children, and shares with me some insights on leading a complex transformation and juggling motherhood and career. Listen up and enjoy. We are so pleased to be working with our US partners, JMW, to bring you this Spotlight on Leadership episode of Between the Lines. JMW is dedicated to developing extraordinary leaders. They work with businesses across the globe to transform leaders and their teams and accelerate performance. To find out more about how they do this, visit jmw.com. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Nisreen Shartouni. Hello, Nisreen. Hi, Haig. And welcome to Between the Lines. Thank you. How, how was your, I think you're coming out of a weekend. How was your weekend in Dubai? You're out there in Dubai, right? Yeah, yeah, we had a nice weekend. Uh, we uh, we actually took the kids swimming for the first time in a long time, so that was nice. Are you going to rub it in that the weather is better <laughs> than the weather in London? But, you know, I have to say we had a very dry winter in Dubai, so I'm actually missing winter. Genuinely, I promise you. Okay, well, we have lots here if you ever want to come here and do an in-person interview. Now, you did uh, live in London for uh, quite a while, right? And London is one of your favorite spots, yeah, right? right? So assure me it is. Yes, tell me about London. So um, um, I lived in London for a little bit less than 15 years. And oh, wow. uh, I moved there from, you know, I had worked before in the US, in Lebanon, which is where I'm from. And uh, I moved there to work uh, with Bechtel at the time um, in a chief construction engineering role. And um, I ended up meeting my husband, uh, having my kids, both of my children in in London, buying our first uh, flat uh, in London. So, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, life changing memories in London, really. So it's uh, it's home to me now. So it's kind of like this podcast. This is being recorded from London. So your first podcast is being recorded in London. Exactly. There you go. All the major firsts. <laughs> exactly. I'm in Paddington. I know you worked for a while around Paddington area as well. Yeah. The- yeah. I, I spent a long time on uh, the Crossrail project, uh, which crosses London east to west. And uh, uh, I ended up, I mean, I spent almost a decade on Crossrail and I ended up working on on different locations uh, along the alignments. I worked at Paddington. I spent a lot of time at Farringdon Station, which is my favorite station, a bit of time at Bond Street and on the tunnels. So uh, uh, yeah, Paddington is definitely one of the stations that I, where I consider that, you know, I have a small part in <laughs> in the construction of Paddington. I'm going to see when it opens in a few months, if there's a brick with your name on it or something, you know, they might. Yeah, unfortunately like not. They did not let us do this. I would have loved to. <laughs> well, like in Hollywood, they may have stars on the floor of the construction engineering people. That would have been cool. That yeah. would have been great. And you were in Farringdon, uh, I think running a team of 600 uh, engineers or people. That's that's right. We were with a project management organization. So we had a contractor uh, uh, working uh, for us on the project. That was actually a career defining moment for me, running the team at Farringdon. At the time, I was the the youngest project manager on Crossrail. I was 33. 
And I remember on my first day as, you know, officially the project manager, I had, I had been on the project for, for a few years, but, you know, on my first day as an official project manager, I actually hosted uh, Prince Charles and Lady Camilla. So oh, that wow. was really exciting. Yeah, it was very, very cool. Um, and um, it was a, a really nice environment on that project. We It was a very challenging project, you know, because of the, uh, you know, ge- geology of the ground, because of the complexity around the program. We were receiving four tunnel boring machines from east and west. And uh, so we were on the critical path of the project for, for a period of time. Uh, but we managed to uh, achieve something beautiful. You know, we, we had a very high performing team and um, it was one of my proudest moments, I have to say, being on that project. I must admit, I haven't spent a lot of time at Farringdon Station, but, but I know you you spent a lot of time underground, I guess, as well as overground in Farringdon. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Um, I actually spent uh, like some time in the tunnels when I was pregnant, because that was when you know I got pregnant with with my first uh, baby and with my son Matteo. And um, you know, I remember going down, uh, you know, through the shaft to the bottom of the station and walking uh, in the areas in the tunnel around the station. And I remember people saying, "Please don't have a baby in the tunnel." You know, <laughs> please make sure you stop work early enough so that we don't have to. Uh, you know, help you uh, give birth in the tunnel. So, yeah. That would have made the front page of the Evening Standard, though. You'd have been yeah. a star. Yeah. yeah. I want to get back to uh, where it all started in Lebanon, I guess. Uh, did you always want to be an engineer or have a connection to transport or trains because you worked in airports, highways, trains, everything, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I come from a family of engineers. My dad is a mechanical engineer. My mom is a civil engineer. My granddad on my mom's side was a contractor. So, uh, you know, like engineering is yeah. in our blood, I think. And um, I never really thought of doing anything else. Like I remember before starting uni, at one point I considered becoming a doctor, but that was like very short lived, you know, it was probably for a couple of weeks right. and that was it. And I have to say, I always found it, you know, fascinating, you know, thinking who decides that the roads are going to be in this location and who builds these roads and who builds these bridges to connect, you know, villages when we were driving on the mountain streets in Lebanon and and who builds these high rise buildings in the in in the city center in Beirut. And I I always found it, um, you know, amazing that there were a series of people, like a group of people who were making these decisions and they were impacting how we lived. Um, and, uh, so that's what I wanted to do. I remember always wanting to be part of a project that would influence positively how people lived and, you know, uh, how they went about their daily lives. And that's what I ended up doing. You know, I decided to go down the civil engineering route and worked on infrastructure projects in general, because that's where my interest was. So that's why the airports, the highways, and then, uh, spending a decade on the railway in London. And it doesn't get any better than that, quite frankly. You know, right. Crossrail at the time was the biggest construction project in Europe. We were making a real difference to the uh, life of Londoners, obviously, when the railway opens, but also during construction. So, uh, yeah, I have to say I've been very blessed <laughs> having the opportunity to work on that project. Nisreen, yes, I know you've worked on some amazing projects, but I think I remember uh, last time we spoke, you was you were talking about purpose and if you are a mother and you're leaving your kids, the fact that that there needs to be some purpose to leave your children and go to work, and 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 I remember the uh, the story you you said of what you tell the children when you leave the yeah. house when they don't yeah, want you to leave. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think this is quite important, right? I mean, especially when you're a new mother and you feel um, bad about leaving your children, uh, you feel guilty about it. So if you don't have that purpose at work, you think it's not worth spending time away from my family. 
you know, if the job is not meaningful enough. So that was always something that I was right. aware of. So I wanted to make sure that even after coming back from my maternity, even though it was a difficult choice to make, uh, I knew that it had to be uh, in a meaningful role. And it's actually helped me, of course, when my kids became a bit older, you know, when they when they could ask me to stay uh, at home to, you know, play with them or whatever, um, I'd explain to them what my job is about. And, uh, you know, in the case of Crossrail, I'd tell them, um, you know, that there's some people who are waiting for a train uh, to be able to go home to their families. And mommy is helping build that tunnel so that the train can go through the tunnel. So every day I come back and I tell them a story about the tunnel, about how the, the the tunnel boring machine was stuck and we had to try and come repair it so that we can continue with the tunnel. So they were following what was happening on the project in a kind of a, like a story uh, by following the story, right? And wow, yeah. uh, that made it easier. And, and actually at the nursery, I remember my daughter was uh, two and a half years old. Uh, the teacher at the nursery told me that your daughter told us that you were helping people uh, get on a train <laughs> to get to the other side of London. So it resonated with them and they used it with the with adults around them. You see, you're, you're already being a role model with, with your kids at that young age. They've got this yeah. very positive view of, of yeah. helping people get home to their families. I think all parents are role models to their kids, right? Like, you know, you'd like yeah. to think so, especially in these early years. Yeah. Talking of uh, role models, have you had some key role models in your life? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I um, when I first started working, um, I mean, even before working, like just observing uh, my family around me, um, my dad is a contractor, so I always admired his work ethic. My mom uh, stopped work uh, after having uh, my sister. We're, we're three daughters in the family. So she stopped work and she was an extremely caring mother. So I had role models that, uh, you know, showed me examples of, um, uh, you know, uh, dedication to your career and dedication right. to your family and being compassionate and, and dedicated to your family. One of my um, say like first impactful <laughs> role models uh, was a gentleman that I worked with um, in Bechtel. And um, at the time, he, we were, he was running the construction function, um, the construction department in Bechtel, and I was uh, the chief construction engineer working for him. And I remember we were doing the salary planning for the employees, and we had around 350 people in that organization. And he was actually like he knew something about every single individual on that list. Wow. You know, he knew something about them. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. Like this is someone who who is very good at his job, but is uh, who also cares about people and knows something about them that makes him even better at his job because he could you know get that discretionary performance from them. And I remember this sticking in my mind. And you know, I'm, I want to highlight that this was uh, a man, not a woman, right? And yes. um, so that was my first impactful role model. Tell me more about the, I guess, the getting pregnant and having a baby during this whole uh, decade, I guess, of building Crossrail. Did the role models help you? I have to say, when I first got pregnant, um, when I was at Farringdon, I was so attached to the team, to the project, you know, like your, your personal identity blends in with the project, right? And, and you become right. part of that community on the project. I felt really sad about having to leave the project. And I, at one point, I was worried that I would resent my child for making me leave my job. Uh, which is a ridiculous thought now, now that I've had my child and I right. end up loving them. But at the time, it was a genuine, real concern for me. And I remember trying to hide my pregnancy. Like I remember, I mean, luckily we had to wear the you know baggy PPE and I always wear black clothes to cover up uh, the belly. And like with my PPE, I try and hide it even more. Uh, so it's only when I was six months pregnant that I told my team that I was uh, actually pregnant. So um, right. yeah, it was a, it was a big deal for me. It wasn't easy to accept that I was going to, you know, like leave work and become a mummy. 
Yeah, but, but but things turned out well, and you did get get promoted. Is that right? Yes, of course, and and I mean that's the thing, right? And um, I'm sure a lot of women who have been in a similar situation uh, would have gone through that, um, you know, uh, decision tree, right? Where you're trying to think about what, how do I get back to work? Do I get back in an easier role so that I can look after my child? Uh, do I go back in a, in a in at the same level, or do I try and take on more responsibility to prove to the business and the company that I'm still uh, ambitious and I still want to grow and um, I remember at the time thinking that I, you know, I wanted to, I still, I am a project manager. So I wanted to come back in a project manager role. I didn't want to come back with less responsibility, but I also wanted to spend more time with my son. And um, um, I remember having a discussion with uh, with my husband and saying, you know, that I was going to ask for part-time working and I was going to go back and work four days a week. And that was a big deal because it was, you know, being a project manager is a key role. The client has to agree to you doing a key role and only working four days a week. And the company has to support you in, in suggesting you to the client. And uh, like I have to say, I was asking the question half expecting that it wouldn't happen and that, that I'd have to compromise. But to my surprise, uh, next thing you know, I was a project manager on the tunneling contracts on Crossrail working four days a week. So, you know, uh, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have felt maybe so comfortable leaving my first child behind. Brilliant. Uh, you mentioned also, I think, something that stuck in my mind uh, last time we spoke about People, I guess when you went back to work, uh, the fact that in some cases there's a tendency for people not to take you seriously or to take someone who's just had a child coming back to work seriously and that you have to kind of prove or even tell people, I'm back, I'm serious, and and I'm still as ambitious as I, yeah. as I used to be. Yeah, I, I had read that statistic in, in, a, in, a, in an article that said that 50% of people in general, men and women, right. uh, believe that uh, women who have children are less committed to work, okay? And that was a statistic that was always in the back of my mind. And I always felt I had to prove that this wasn't the case. You know, I had to prove that I still had ambitions. And yes, maybe I was coming back with working four days a week, but that's not because I'm less ambitious. That's because I'm trying to get to grips with being a working mom. And it takes a period of adjustment. You know, you need to find the right childcare, find the right routines for, for your family, including your, your husband, your partner. And uh, so that was always in my mind. And, and I, I was... I have to say, I didn't try to explain to others that this is what I was, uh, what my target was. But my target was that within a year of going back uh, to work, everyone needed to know somehow uh, that it was I was still me, and I still right. had my ambition, and I still wanted to grow in the company. Right. I, I, I want to jump a little bit into the, into leadership, and um, so so how how does somebody like you starting out in in Lebanon and, and moving around the U.S. and many other countries? I think you worked in all sorts of places when you were at Bechtel. How do you pick up the leadership skills? Did you learn any, you know, during your your multiple degrees? I think you 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 were French educated in, in Beirut, and then did civil engineering. Is that right? And then yeah, you did right. uh, and the construction engineering, construction management, yeah, as an MSc, and that was in Austin, Texas, right? That's right. So where do you pick up the the majority of your leadership kind of um, skills that you've got? Yeah, well, well, at the beginning, it's really, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning of your career, you're really observing people around you, you're observing leadership styles, you're seeing what works for you and others and what doesn't. Um, and you're trying to find your 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 place, right? I mean, and as a woman in an industry that's male dominated, I have to say, you know, I always um, felt, I, I always felt equal to people around me. I didn't feel that I was, you know, uh, I had any less capability, but I always was trying to see how my personal uh, preferences would fit in that environment. 
And yeah. uh, when you're not in a very visible role, it's a bit easier because you can still be yourself. No one is expecting a certain behavior from you. But as you start yeah. growing and becoming more visible as a leader, then there's that expectation. And this is where you start facing that uh, decision of, uh, do I need to change who I am to fit the mold of a project manager, for example, or can I still be myself and still be a project manager? And um, of course, observing other women with different styles and leadership positions will make you think that it's still okay for you to be yourself. Uh, but you still have to make that decision, uh, that call yourself. And, and um, it's not as easy as it may sound. Now, in terms of um, the, the leadership traits that I felt uh, you know, were helping me be a leader, regardless of which country I was working on in or which you know, team I had around me, um, well... I mean, obviously, technical capability is taken for granted, right? I mean, we, we I yes. just assume that when we're in this environment, anyone you're talking about uh, has that technical skill set. So this is taken for granted. Um, but on top of that, I felt that um, I had, um, I'm, I'm very resilient. Um, I can, I, I take pressure well. Um, I can absorb pressure well. I, I can protect my team from the pressure and I can, um, adapt to a different range of situations. Maybe that came from living in Lebanon during the war and having to, to move a lot and, you know, moving schools very frequently and never knowing where, you know, whether, whether your dad will come back home or not. So, you know, it was a bit, you know, it, it didn't feel dramatic at the time when we were younger, but it genuinely made us a bit, you know, adaptable wow. and just resilient. Wow. Can't imagine that. Um, yeah. Um, so I, so I, you know, basically I don't, I don't, uh, shy away from change. I welcome change and then try and find an opportunity in that change. Um, the other thing is, um, and that's important, you know, uh, in, in any leader, any leadership style, um, is having an interest for people, you know, being compassionate and genuinely trying to understand what drives, you know, the people who are in your team. Um, you know what? You know their their personal their preferences. You know their uh, their personal leadership style. They may have a leadership style that's very different to yours. Uh, what's happening in their families? Because you know, I know some people say you can isolate work from from home. I don't think you can. I think it will automatically okay. uh, reflect on what's happening in the in the working environment. So having that uh, you know that um, genuine love for knowing people, you know, yes. so that you can you can allow them to. Uh, you know, flourish and grow and so that you can allow them to become the best leader that they can be themselves. And that's how you end up being a strong leader by having all these strong people around you. Nisreen, tell me a little about some of the you know, transformations that you've been part of. Yeah, I'll tell you about the transformation that we went through on the Crossrail project as a uh, as an executive uh, team. I left the Crossrail project for a short period of time and rejoined um, at the end of uh, 2018 as a commercial director on the project. Okay. And uh, that was at the time when we were trying to uh, redefine the opening strategy for Crossrail. And um, at the time, we brought in a coaching company, leadership coaching uh, company, uh, that was going to help us as a group uh, become a, a high-performing team. I have to say, like in, in the sessions that we were having, I felt that all the the leadership, um, you know, tricks or traits or you know, skill set that. Um, you know, maybe I was using previously or observing and 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 admiring and others without really being able to pin it down. Um, it all became much clearer. You know, like that we we had a very uh, structured and right. logical approach to defining the leadership traits, and not just that. You know, like we, everyone wants to be a transformational leader. I mean, like very few would say, okay, I'm, I'm happy being a transactional leader. 
uh, everyone wants to have that skill set and and you can read about it and you know that it's about how you inspire others and how you get the discretionary performance from your team but you don't really know how to and like sometimes you end up applying without without necessarily knowing how to replicate it in different scenarios different environments what helped us a lot as an executive team on crossfit at that point in time is that we were given very tangible tools that we could actually use to become more impactful as a leader you know like we 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 used to talk about how you know every organization has a drift and our responsibilities as as leaders was to come and disrupt that drift and you know change the course of the project and that's genuinely what we were doing on crossrail at that point in time like we were trying that. to redefine the opening strategy and then, and we you know we all bought into it we all knew that that's what we wanted to do but we didn't know how to right so so right. you're not sure what tools to use and that's where you know we okay, we start we start with basics you can listen you can talk but how how did you listen without filtering the information how can you talk and make a commitment when you speak and we started getting into like detail of which words to use when you're asking uh, when you're making a request when you're committing uh, making a commitment and i think it's these small changes and and tricks that genuinely enabled us to be a, a, a highly performing executive group and it's the kind of skill set that you you just, you know once you've once you got it once you've applied it on a project that's it it stays with you forever and then you'll take that with you and and you want others to know about this so that they can become more efficient and high performing in their environment and when we say tools i mean in a way from what i've heard is it's kind of like leadership language that is understood that you can teach your own team even Correct. if you go somewhere else, all right? It's not just a tool, isn't it? It's like a language. Exactly. It's, and it's a way of thinking. It's a way of, uh, of behaving and thinking, right? Yes. So it becomes second nature once you're used to it. And um, I mean, I have to say, you, you know, you sit on a lot of training um, and coaching and, um, and when you hear it all in theory, it sounds great, uh, but it's only when you apply it uh, in reality that you realize how hard the application is. And this is the opportunity that we had on Crossfire. We actually had coaches observing us in real meetings with contractors, and they were there providing an independent view, uh, in their independent feedback to both parties, you know, to say, okay, this is what you're trying to say, but that's why it's not impactful. That's why the other party is not hearing you. And it was like live uh, feedback right, and it right. doesn't get better than that. <laughs> No, absolutely. So you've been through a lot of leadership experiences. If you're picking, I guess, your dream team for the next transformation, uh, whether that's something in space, which you haven't done yet, or something in an, in rail, how do you pick the right kind of people? Because obviously they also have to be receptive to thinking and, and the real state of being in terms of uh, uh, to work in that kind of team. I find it very hard to answer that question. I'll tell you why. Because I don't have a picture of what my dream team should look like. I have a, a, in mind an image of how I'd like us to perform at the end. Okay. I know that I need to have a diverse team uh, around me. And I know that I need to have open-minded people who are accepting of other people's views. Uh, right. Because that's how you become you know, genuinely creative in, in coming up with solutions. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to motivate them and inspire them. Because sometimes you might find someone who's in, in the wrong role, in the wrong place, and they're not really delivering their full capability. And if you can manage to get that uh, out of them, then you end up with that you know, great performance that everyone is uh, trying to uh, achieve in their teams. So open-mindedness, uh, you know, a will uh, to, to succeed, 
Yeah, you mentioned diversity. And obviously, when you started out as a youngest project manager, I think, in one of your roles, you were not English working in London, and you were a woman in a very kind of male-dominated area. Do you have any advice for other kind of leaders in a minority kind of situation in terms of how to take it on and, and succeed? One of the key uh, like prerequisites is to be given the opportunity, right? So right. so whether, whether you're the person in that uh, position, uh, asking for that opportunity or whether you're someone who can provide that opportunity to others. I think that's the, the first re- requirement to have an opportunity to, to, to uh, operate in a leadership role. The other thing is, um, you know, I think people who come from minorities, um, you know, in some cases may have a bit of a doubt about whether this is they're in the right place or whether this is their spot or their right. And um, I think the most important thing is to, um, follow your belief. Like if, if you genuinely feel that this is something that you'd enjoy and then you'd probably be good at it. Right. So, yeah. um, I'd say, you know, you know, take a dive, like, a, you know, jump in and, uh, tell others that you're genuinely keen to make it work. And it'll be, you know, you'll see people come towards you and try and help you, uh, you know, with your target, with your goal. So I wanted to just, uh, move off leadership and, and just talk about other things in your life that keep you balanced. So, um, so, so what do you like to do when you're not thinking about tunnels and <laughs> engineering so, problems uh, and people? Be, before having children, I, I really liked uh, exercising. I mean, I, I just felt that, you know, just movement and exercise and working hard would just uh, like completely obliterate any stress that I was feeling. And I could start afresh genuinely. It was like rebooting the computer, you know? Yeah. Uh, so workout and exercise was... Uh, how I dealt with, uh, you know, work pressure. And um, I have to say, after having children, it was a bit harder for me to carve that time out because whenever I'm not working, I feel I have to be with the kids, you know, to make it up for them. So now that the kids are a bit older, they're four and six, I'm actually finding ways of doing that workout together. So, you know, weekends, you know, we we go on bike rides uh, with my husband. Uh, uh, During the weekdays after when I finish work, we have a little party at home. You know, we put our party light and loud music and we start dancing. and Dance party, I like that. uh, Yeah. 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 So uh, just anything really to keep me moving and uh, while being with my family. Oh, that's lovely. And um, just going going back to you, you were sad to leave London and and, and you left for various reasons and you went to Dubai. But um, there was a lot of happiness in Dubai, right? You had a lot of family there. So so how's that been for you? How long has it been as well that you've been in Dubai? I forgot. Yeah, Uh, we've been in Dubai for a year and a half now. Okay. And yes, I was very sad to leave London. And, you know, people who were with me on the project, you know, could see it. Like, it was very obvious. I I, I couldn't, I felt, I I couldn't leave Crossrail behind. I had to be there for the opening. And, you know, maybe I'll I'll be there again before the opening. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how how this year goes. Uh, But, um, um. like it felt like the stars were aligning in a way to to make us move to Dubai because um, my husband and I you know he has two siblings I have two siblings so a total of six of us and uh, we all lived in different parts of the world two years ago and uh, as of a year ago uh, five out of the six of us are based in Dubai it was really amazing amazing, you know like uh, we people were getting offers and and we all ended up being in the same location. So all of a sudden, we come from being a very scattered family to having, you know, the uncles and aunties of my children around them all the time. And that's really precious. I think that brings a lot of hope because I know there's a lot of uh, scattered families listening in where, where everyone's spread out across the world. And the fact that unexpectedly your journey has led you pretty much around, around the globe and, and, and suddenly 
five out of six siblings living in the same city it must be fa- and what a fantastic city too yeah i mean i i, I love dubai and yeah, that would we're very blessed now we're trying yeah. to bring the sixth one to uh, to the uae so we'll see how that goes <laughs> brilliant so so final question uh, not not a difficult one because there's no right answer so looking into the future what next do uh, do you do you think you'll stay in dubai are you just open to anything um, um i'd like to be back in london um uh, I, I am enjoying my my life in Dubai, of course. Uh, it's an amazing, uh, you know, uh, setting, uh, amazing projects from an infrastructure perspective also in Dubai. Uh, but, you know, London is where my heart is. Uh, and, um, you know, I'd like to go back and be part of future rail projects in London. Uh, so that's what I'd, uh, I see myself in the next five years. Well, there's a fantastic cup of coffee or even lunch waiting for you at Paddington. If you come back <laughs> to London, you. but I'll probably see you in Dubai before that. That would so, be amazing. Thank you, Nisreen, for coming on, on the show. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Haig. Thank you. That was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. That was a wonderful interview with Nisreen Shatuni. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to share and subscribe to Between the Lines with Haig. Thank you and see you next time. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, JMW, for this episode. There will be more in the Spotlight on Leadership series coming up, so do not miss out and subscribe. To find out more about their expertise on transformational leadership, visit jmw.com.